BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirchner. Glenn was in the courtroom when Judge Tanya Chutkin set a speedy trial date for Donald Trump in his federal prosecution for trying to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Here's his take on what he saw. So, friends, I was in court for Donald Trump's status hearing in his criminal prosecution in D.C. involving his attempt to overturn the presidential election. And I can tell you there was a lot of heat in the courtroom. But it was all coming from the defense side of the courtroom where all of Donald Trump's criminal defense attorneys had assembled. So what I want to focus on is what I saw in that courtroom that I would characterize as poor lawyering. Not trying to be unkind, but I have to call it the way I see it. Donald Trump's lead defense attorney, John Lauro, when he stood up and started addressing Judge Tanya Chutkin, he started loud and he only got louder. In fact, twice during the hearing, Judge Chutkin had to tell him to, quote, turn the temperature down. You know, Lauro just engaged in bomb throwing. He said, this is a show trial. This is a political prosecution. This is a grave injustice. You know, he may have believed he was throwing red meat to Donald Trump's base, but he was not persuading Judge Chutkin, right? He was not making arguments based on the facts, based on the law, based on some reasonable estimate of how much time he would need to prepare for trial, he was just throwing bombs and being loud. You know, interestingly, Judge Chutkin started the hearing by saying, the prosecutors, Jack Smith and his team, are asking for a January 2nd, 2024 trial date. The defense is asking for an April 2026 trial date. She said point blank, Neither of those two trial dates is appropriate. So I thought, oof, maybe she's going to do the Solomonic thing, kind of split the difference, if not the baby, and maybe come down somewhere in the middle. So what she did was she asked John Lauro, listen, propose a reasonable trial date, a trial date that will give you enough time to prepare But she said, this case is not going to trial in 2026. Give me a reasonable alternate proposal. And John Lauro wouldn't do it. She asked him a number of times. She gave him a number of opportunities. And here's what he ultimately said to the judge. Quote, 
we can't do this trial in anything less than the time we proposed, close quote. I might be off on that quote by a word or two. I was furiously scribbling notes the whole time. But, you know, he just kind of brazenly, stubbornly, almost disrespectfully, wouldn't even give the judge an alternative, you know, a more reasonable proposed trial date. So she again said, yeah, well, this trial is not going in 2026. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to set a trial date for March 4th, 2024. Gives the defense about six or seven months to prepare. She said, this is a single defendant case, not a big multi-defendant case. It involves only four criminal charges, not 40, not 140. She said, interestingly, I used to try murder cases across the street in Superior Court, and I have some sense of how long it takes to prepare to go to trial. You may have heard me say in the past, friends, that I tried cases against Tanya Chutkin when she was a public defender and I was an assistant U.S. attorney prosecuting murder cases in the District of Columbia. So she knows whereof she speaks. And you know, there were some interesting things that unfolded. For example, John Lauro said, Your Honor, we haven't had any time to prepare. I haven't even begun reviewing the evidence. I've had absolutely no time to even think about how I'm going to defend my client, Donald Trump. And when the prosecutor got an opportunity to talk and address and rebut some of what John Lauro said, and let me add that the two prosecutors representing the people of the United States, Thomas Wyndham and Molly Gaston, did we the people proud. And friends, I, I'm not saying this because I'm a former career prosecutor. Sometimes I see prosecutors perform poorly and I call them out. Sometimes I see defense attorneys perform marvelously and I compliment them. But this was poor lawyering by John Lauro and very steady, thoughtful, circumspect, informed lawyering by the prosecutors. Here's one of the reasons I say that. After Lauro went on and on about how he hasn't even been able to think about what the defense may be, never mind review documents and prepare the defense, Molly Gaston got to respond to some of what John Lauro had said. She said, Your Honor, um, it's interesting that he said he's had no time or opportunity to begin preparing because Mr. Lauro gave a media interview and he said, and I quote, I've read Mike Pence's book not once but twice and I'm already drafting my cross-examination for Mike Pence, who I know will testify as a government witness. So it sounds like he has begun preparing. Sounds like his preparation is well underway. That's just one example of how the facts defeated the histrionics. And I appreciate the lawyering by both Thomas Wyndham and Molly Gaston. So near the conclusion of the hearing, after Judge Chutkin set a speedy trial date after Judge Chutkin observed that the people 
the people, the American voters, also have an interest in a speedy trial date, not just the defendant, but the people have a right to have this case promptly resolved. John Loro was visibly displeased, upset, angry, agitated at the fact that the judge had set a March 2024 trial date. And he did a couple of things that were sort of unbefitting of a lawyer practicing in federal court or anywhere because federal court is no better than state court. In fact, state courts are where the hard work of justice really goes on day in and day out because 98% of the criminal cases are handled in state courts and maybe 2%, a very small fraction of the criminal cases are handled in federal court. So I would never demean or be disrespectful of the state court prosecutors or practices or defense attorneys. But I thought Lauro did something that was unbefitting of any attorney. He said, Your Honor, that's a ridiculous trial date. I'm paraphrasing now. And if we are forced to go to trial in March, we will not have enough time to prepare and we will be ineffective. We will render ineffective assistance of counsel. That's a hollow threat. That's nonsense. You don't say that you intend to or you expect to be ineffective in the assistance you render your client. And then he did something that was arguably even worse. In the run-up to a trial, any trial, you have a series of status hearings. And that is entirely routine. You don't just you know, arraign somebody and then six months later have a trial date. You have a series of status hearings to accomplish things, to move through motions, to address issues, you know, legal issues, scheduling issues. And so the judge predictably said, Mr. Lauro, would you please propose the next status hearing date that works for your calendar? And he said, no, I don't see the point of a status hearing date. He threw a tantrum like a child, unbefitting of a lawyer. And I don't think any of this will put him in a good place in the eyes of Judge Chutkin. You know, when he won't answer questions that she asks him repeatedly, when he, you know, throws a tantrum and won't even give her a date for the next proposed status hearing, that will not serve him well and it will not serve his client well. But she took it in stride. Judge Chutkin said, fine, you'll see my minute order with the next scheduled status hearing date. Anything else we need to address? Court adjourned. So the bottom line is we saw some poor lawyering. We saw some fine lawyering. You know, I do believe the American people will be extremely well represented in the prosecution of Donald Trump. And we saw a judge who understands the need to move this case to trial expeditiously because, as she said, the people have a right to a speedy trial, not just the defendant. And if there is one thing that Tanya Chutkin knows, it's that justice matters. Friends, we're getting there. Coming up after the break, Glenn talks about Rudy Giuliani's problem with alcohol. This is Justice Matters. 
Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A recent report reveals Jack Smith's prosecutors grilled witnesses about Rudy Giuliani's drinking. Glenn explains that his intoxication may be relevant to one of Trump's possible defense tactics. So friends, there's some new reporting that special counsel Jack Smith has been asking witnesses questions about Rudy Giuliani's drinking and his intoxication, specifically at times that are relevant to some of Donald Trump's crimes. Now, it's not at all unusual for prosecutors to explore issues of intoxication during the course of criminal investigations, whether it's intoxication courtesy of drinking or using drugs. And we'll talk about why that is often part of a criminal investigation in a minute. But let's start with the new reporting. This from Rolling Stone. Headline, Jack Smith's team grilled witnesses about Rudy Giuliani's drinking. The special counsel's interest in Rudy's drinking could play a role in undermining one of Trump's key legal defenses. And that article begins, Special counsel Jack Smith's office has repeatedly grilled witnesses about Rudy Giuliani's drinking on and after election day, investigating whether Donald Trump was knowingly relying on an inebriated attorney while trying to overturn a presidential election. In their questioning of multiple witnesses, Smith's team of federal investigators have asked questions about how seemingly intoxicated Giuliani was during the weeks he was giving Trump advice on how to cling to power according to a source who's been in the room with Smith's team, one witness's attorney, and a third person familiar with the matter. The special counsel's team has also asked these witnesses if Trump had ever gossiped with them about Giuliani's drinking habits, and if Trump had ever claimed Giuliani's drinking impacted his decision-making or judgment. Federal investigators have inquired about whether the then-president was warned including after election night 2020, about Giuliani's allegedly excessive drinking. They have also asked certain witnesses if Trump was told that the former New York mayor was giving him post-election legal and strategic advice while inebriated. Okay, friends, let's start with the basics. Why might prosecutors investigate issues of intoxication? Well, First of all, let's start with a defendant. 
Intoxication can actually impact whether a defendant can be held accountable for a certain crime. What do I mean by that? Well, if you're intoxicated, it may impact your state of mind. It may impact your ability to form specific intent to commit a crime. Now, I'm not saying these are often winning defenses, but they are viable defenses. They're defenses that are recognized in the law. Let me give you a concrete example. If somebody is charged with assault with intent to kill, that's attempted murder, but in the District of Columbia, it's called assault with intent to kill. If somebody is so intoxicated, whether under the influence of alcohol or drugs, that they have a really hard time even forming specific intent, that can actually serve as a defense to the crime of assault with the intent to kill, but it would not be a defense to a lesser crime, what we call a lesser included offense of assault. So a defendant might say, look, I was falling down drunk. I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't even form the intent to kill, but the evidence proves that the defendant clearly assaulted somebody even if a jury believed that he was so intoxicated he couldn't form the intent to kill. I'm not saying it's a winning defense, but it is a recognized defense in the law. So that's one reason prosecutors will investigate somebody's level of intoxication at a relevant time, like at the time of an offense. How about witnesses? Well, in violent crime cases, now let's make our way to white collar crime cases, but certainly in violent crime cases, whether a witness is intoxicated or not can be of huge consequence because if a witness observes something while they're under the influence of drugs or alcohol, that might impact their ability to perceive accurately, their ability to later recall what they perceived when they were drunk, when they were high. So intoxication is always a topic of interest when we're investigating crime and we're dealing with witnesses to those crimes. A little bit less so in the white collar crime context, but still, you're almost always going to be interested in whether any of the witnesses, any of the defendants, anybody of consequence to the case might have been intoxicated at a time relevant to the facts of the case. Now, let's go to Donald Trump specifically. Donald Trump may try to raise what's called an advice of counsel defense. My lawyer told me I could do it. Therefore, I should be held blameless and you should blame my lawyer for giving me bad legal advice or legal advice that might have prompted me to violate the law. What's the most simple, basic example of an advice of counsel defense? My tax lawyer told me I could take that deduction. So I took that deduction. Turns out I couldn't take that deduction and I actually violated tax laws. Advice of counsel defense. My counsel told me it was okay. And there are a thousand variations on that theme of trying to blame your lawyer for your own misconduct, your own crimes. Now sometimes you have a viable advice of counsel defense. It's a legitimate defense. It's something that courts have recognized, 
It doesn't mean it's a winning defense because you still have some responsibility to do due diligence, to make sure you're not just kind of recklessly, maybe with a wink and a nod, following bad legal advice, hoping it's going to protect you later. It's all a matter of degree, but it is a viable defense. It's a recognized defense in the criminal law. But if your lawyer's drunk all the time while he's giving you advice, particularly advice about how you can overturn a presidential election and unconstitutionally keep yourself in power, well, that is not the most appealing advice of counsel defense. So it may sound like a punchline. It may give birth to lots of memes that Jack Smith is investigating Rudy Giuliani's drinking and intoxication, but there's actually a point. If Rudy Giuliani is drunk while he's, you know, dispensing legal advice to Donald Trump about how he can remain in power, even though he lost the election, you know, that is not going to be a compelling defense. It's not going to be a winning defense, you know, because if your attorney is basically the town drunk sitting in a park yelling at the clouds, you're not going to be able to say, you know, I relied on his sound legal advice when I was launching an attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th or urging state legislatures to submit fake electors to say, I really won, even though Joe Biden won. Not a terribly compelling defense. And there's one more thing about the advice of counsel defense, and it doesn't have anything to do with Rudy's intoxication. When your counsel is actually your co-conspirator, your co defendant. When you're in a criminal endeavor together, like Donald Trump and his lawyers were, why do I say Donald Trump and his lawyers were committing crimes together in concert in a conspiracy? Well, because they've been indicted in Georgia as co-conspirators and co-defendants, Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and John Eastman and Kenneth Cheesebro and Jeffrey Clark, the environmental lawyer who joined Donald Trump's conspiracy and weaponized, corrupted and weaponized the Department of Justice in furtherance of Donald Trump's crimes. Well, when your lawyers are your co-conspirators, your co-defendants, your partners in crime, how compelling do you think an advice of counsel defense is going to be? Yeah, there actually is no advice of co-conspirator defense when your lawyers are your co-conspirators. And remember, there were a whole batch of lawyers. Remember how in the January 6th House Select Committee we heard about Team Crazy and Team Normal? Well, Team Crazy, maybe Team Drunk and Crazy now with Rudy thrown into the mix, Rudy and Powell, and Eastman, and Cheesebro, and then you had Team Normal, right? White House Counsel Pat Cipollone, Deputy White House Counsel Patrick Philbin, and others who were giving Donald Trump sound, lawful, sober, legal advice about, you know, not committing crimes to try to overturn the elections 
results. So the advice of counsel defense, in my opinion, is not going to fly, particularly when your attorney, Rudy Giuliani, was dispensing some of this crazy legal advice while he was in the bag. So friends, we'll stay on top of this story about Rudy's drinking, his intoxication, and how it might impact Donald Trump's ability to even raise an advice of counsel defense. But, you know, probably a good rule of thumb is if you're going to take advice from an attorney, you know, waiting until that attorney is sober, like justice, matters. Cheers, friends. Please stay safe. Please stay tuned. And I look forward to talking with you all again soon. For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters.